It's good to see everyone out this morning, especially good to see anyone who's visiting with us. Uh, we're going to continue our study in 2 Corinthians. We're going to pick up in, in chapter 3, around verse 12 or so, <clears throat> which is where we left off last week. And if we remember and thinking back to some of the, the, the topics that we ended our study last week, really verses 7 and following, at least leading up to 12, we saw those comparisons of the old law versus the new law. Uh, and describing, Paul describes it, the old law as the ministry of death versus the ministry of the spirit, the new law. Uh, and in verses 7 and 8, we saw him <clears throat> talking about the condemnation under the old law versus a righteousness under the new law. We saw him describing the old law as passing away or fading away uh, versus the, the new law that remains or is eternal. And that leads us into um, our verses um, that we're going to look at or start with, verse 12, um, this week. Um, but what I thought we would do before we really got into the specifics, reading the section. So if we can, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And let's read verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 2, because <clears throat> I think the, the thought is continued over into chapter 4. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, having therefore such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not as Moses who used to put a veil over his face that the sons of Israel might not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened for until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. <clears throat> Therefore, since we have this mercy, we, as we receive mercy, we do not lose I'm sorry, let me read, read that. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So we see in verses 12 and and following 12 and 13 and the, the remainder of the verses, a continued comparison between the old law and the new law and the veil in particular, that imagery that we talked about a little bit last week, continued in, in this, these verses, but also in chapter four. I think it's interesting we also see that continued comparison, um, the old versus new, in that if we look back, I thought back to the beginning of chapter three, where we, we read about them requesting or looking for letters of commendation. Um, but in verse two, you are our letters written in, in our hearts, known and read by all men. So I think also we see that transition from, and the continued thought around the transition from the physical word to the word that's written on their heart, um, more that spiritual natured word uh, as opposed to the physical law that was created and the physical kingdom that was created under the old law. Um, I thought about Hebrews chapter 8 with that thought in mind. So if we'll turn over to Hebrews chapter 8, um, 
I think I've got it up here, 7 through 13. We're not going to read the entirety of, of all of these verses for time's sake. But Hebrews chapter 8, and, and verse, let's start in verse 9 and read verse 9 and 10. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law into their minds, and I will write them upon their heart, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So if I'm not mistaken, this is a, taken from Jeremiah. Um, I didn't write that down, but I think that's right. Um, talking about forward-looking and, and looking forward to the Christ and the new law, uh, the law written on their hearts, the law of permanence. Uh, and I think we can also look back to verse 3 in chapter 3 of, of, of uh, 2 Corinthians um, as far as manifested that the letter of Christ carried by us, written not in ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets, but on tablets of human hearts. So again, that whole parallel between the old law and the new law, written on tablets, written with ink, versus written on our hearts. Uh, continued that whole idea, uh, and especially in, in tying to that idea of the veiled heart. Uh, and so that's kind of where I wanted us to start out this week. Um, the old law, and as we've talked about, Paul continues to talk about under the old law are the, the Israelites under the old law continue to, to read or examine the scriptures with a veiled heart. Um, and looking back, I think the imagery here to Exodus 34, as far as Moses with the veil on his face coming down from the mountain. But with this in mind, it's not that they couldn't see the scriptures or couldn't see what was going on from a prophetic standpoint looking forward to Christ. It's the hardening of their heart. It's the, their, their unwillingness to accept. I thought to, let me see if I've got, I don't think I've got it up there, but I thought to John chapter 5 uh, and Christ speaking to this same concept, uh, speaking to this same idea of a veiled heart or a hardened heart. So, John chapter 5, in verse 37, the Father who sent me has borne witness to me. You have <clears throat> neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his, his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe in him who, whom he sent. Uh, and then if we skip down in that same chapter, chapter uh, 5, verse 46, for if you believe in Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, you will. how will you believe my words? And so that same idea that Moses prophesied of Christ, uh, we, we referenced uh, the, he, in Jeremiah, we see prophecies of Isaiah. All of these things were prophesied. And, and I think what Paul is saying here, even though all of these um, prophetic statements throughout the Old Testament and all of the Old Testament pointed to Christ, they still read it with that veiled heart, with that inability to see and accept. And, and as these, these Judaizing teachers are coming back to Corinth to try to steer these young Christians away, they're still looking at the old law and the new law with that veiled heart, with that unwillingness to accept the, the new law. Uh, but he goes on in these verses and says, when you turn to Christ, when you turn to the Lord in verse 16, the veil is lifted. Uh, it's removed. And so 
again, something for us to really think about and, and make sure, I think, on two fronts. Uh, in thinking about this passage and these passages, I don't think there's going to be a tendency for many to return to the old law. But I think I said last week, it's really important for us to make sure that we are looking to the Word and, and adhering to the Word fully. Um, and that's on both sides, uh, adhering to the Word, but then also not going beyond the Word. As you think about the Judaizing teachers, by all accounts, they're trying to bind circumcision on these young Christians. Is there anything wrong with circumcision? Well, no. In and of itself, that's, if you choose that as an individual, that's fine. But if you're trying to bind that on as far as something that determines your relationship with God on someone else, then that's where it becomes a problem. And so we need to be very careful thinking about this veil and thinking about how these Judaizing teachers or the, the Jews in this first century were looking at the word. We need to think about that example as we're thinking about the scriptures and making sure that we're adhering to the scriptures, we're, we're binding what's bound, and we're leaving unbound what's been unbound by God's word. Um, because we could fall into some of these same traps, uh, some of the same, the same traps that these Judaizing teachers fell into, their unwillingness to see what the word is telling them now. So I'll pause for a second um, and uh, see if there's any comments because I've talked a bunch. You got Go ahead. This is, this is a really cool passage because I think reading Exodus 34, we would read that and it, it appears that Moses wears this veil because his face is just too bright and yeah. the people can't see it, so he's trying to accommodate yeah. them. But Paul here really reveals that he was doing it so they wouldn't see his face start to fade. Mm -hmm. That he didn't want them to see that. Mm -hmm. And that it is just such a great imagery for us that Christ allows us to see that, yes, the old covenant at one time, it was glorious and it, it shone, but it has faded at this point. Mm -hmm. It did what it was supposed to do. And, and that applies, you know, Christ will reveal that to any of us, things that at one time were good or that we thought were good. Mm -hmm. That veil's lifted, and we see, oh, it's not shining, it's not glorious, but he doesn't fade like those things. It's such a insightful passage here into to something that we read about thousands of years earlier, but Paul gives more context that's so helpful here. Yeah, I agree. I, and like I've said to you guys over and over over the last couple of chapters is the imagery really helps me. Um, I'm a picture person. So if I can use the words and, and visualize this, but to your point, it's really great insight into what we've, and I'm sure the, the first century Christians and Jew, the Jews of the day had heard and read for years and years and years. So, Chris. Uh, in verse 17, uh, where it, he talks about liberty, um, assuming that 1 Corinthians is, you know, uh, predates 2 Corinthians, which we kind of do, um, then as soon as he mentions liberty, then they have a whole lot of context to go by from 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, I believe, uh, where he, he demonstrates, yeah, you have liberty, but, you know, what's more important than that? So, yeah. Yeah, so good segue to for me to, to move on to the, the next verses. And so verses 17 hey and Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't see you back there. Um, so I, I take a, maybe a slightly different approach to this. So when I look at Exodus 34, I see a people whose heart 
is not what it should be. In spite of all the things that God has shown his people, they're afraid of him. Mm-hmm. And that's really what the imagery here is, going back to Exodus 34, is you have a people who are afraid of their deliverer. Mm-hmm. And so Moses veils his face on account of the fear of the people. Jesus takes away that fear. In fact, in Hebrews, what do we have? We have a high priest who that we can boldly go before God and, you know, and and be with him and pray to him and communicate with him and, and have that removal of fear. And what I see in 2 Corinthians 3 about what's fading away, it's not the fact that his people are are afraid of Moses or that Moses's face is fading away, the brightness. It's an imagery of looking ahead to see that the old law is fading away. And the people in, in the first century, the Jews, can't handle that because they are so ingrained in their perception of what Judaism is all about and that they are God's people. Yeah. And I, I think we need to be, to your point that you made earlier, we need to be very careful that we don't have the veiled face mm-hmm. in our, because it's a heart problem. Mm-hmm. It's not a physical veil, but it's a heart problem. So we need to make sure that we do not have that veil over our heart to truly see God God's message of salvation through grace through Jesus. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, I think that, um, I think last week we touched on a little bit some of the points that Jason made as far as the fear that the Israelites had because because of what what Moses represented in, in their lack of a relationship with, with God. Um, I do think, though, the imagery is, and I think you made the point of, of the old law fading and him trying to connect those dots, um, not fading. The old law had already gone away, but that imagery of, of Moses' face fading. Um, and so I think it is kind of both ideas um, in the same, the same sense. Um, so I completely agree with you. I think in, in, that's the point is that Paul, I think, is trying to make um, throughout these, these chapters through probably chapter 7 as far as uh, the superiority of Christ, the superiority of his message as opposed to what those false teachers are trying to steer these young Christians, uh, young church towards. So very good point. Sorry I missed you back there, Carrie. I was um, busy. Let me... Uh, verse 18 is is really interesting, too, because we had the fading in the old law mm-hmm. and in Moses' face as it faded, mm-hmm. but you have just the opposite going on in verse 18. Mm-hmm. And so as we're, we're, our faces aren't veiled and we're beholding the, in the mirror the glory of the Lord and being transformed, and so that's changing us. Mm-hmm. And so we're glowing more and more. So mm-hmm. you had the fading, the old law, and, and the face of Moses but as we are looking at Jesus and we're being transformed into him or being transformed to him, uh, being transformed to be like him, then we glow more and more. Yep. And, and that should be seen by uh, the people around us. Yeah. So Chris and, and 
Gerald just covered my last couple of points on this slide, which is good. That's, I mean, at least it's always good when you put stuff together and it seems right in your mind. And then people that really know more say, make the same comments. But, you know, 17 and 18 will we'll kind of transition on. I'll make sure I'm not missing anybody again. Um, before I continue, I mean, to before we jump to 18, but uh, to Chris's point, that freedom, that liberty, um, I, thought, I thought back to passages that we're all very familiar with, Galatians 5, as far as that, that yoke of slavery. I thought to, to James chapter 1, as far as the, the uh, looking intently uh, in the mirror in verse 18, and in James chapter 1, talking about that looking at the mirror, the perfect law of liberty. And to transition to Gerald's point, if we're looking with that unveiled face in the perfect law of liberty and trying to transform ourselves, trying to, to be transformed into the person we need to be, you know, we're going to be sh sharing that light, shedding that light on those around us, you know, the light in the darkness, um, the, the, uh, the salt of the earth. Um, that imagery throughout the New Testament, that's what we should be, not only from an individual transformation and from an individual relationship with, with God, but to the world around us, which I think is the point that, that Gerald, you were trying to make. Uh, that transformation, um, I thought about um, also looking back a couple of verses, um, what... Um, Verse 12, having therefore such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. And, and I thought, too, that, that idea of the confidence in approaching the throne in, that we see in Hebrews chapter 11. And, and as our relationship gets stronger, we have that, that boldness, that confidence, um, that, that understanding of the word, that relationship with God, where kind of to Carrie's point, we shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't have that fear. Uh, that relationship allows us to be transformed, uh, as, as Gerald was saying in verse 18, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Uh, and so I also thought about I don't think I've got it on. No, I do have it on this slide. Uh, trans, that idea of transformation in verse 18. I thought about 1 John chapter 3 and the first couple of verses there. Um, what love the Father bestowed that we should be children of God goes on to say that we, sh we should be like him. So as we're being transformed, we're transformed into that image. Uh, we should be working to transform ourselves into that image of the Christ, of, of Jesus, um, and sharing that glory, uh, sharing that, that hope that I think Carrie made reference to uh, that, that is within us as a part of that. So very good points. I'm going to continue on to, to chapter four, but I really appreciate everybody's comments. Um, anything else? Okay. So continuing on in chapter four, um, First of all, it starts out, therefore, so I, I think always when we see that at the beginning of a chapter, that, that should cause us to pause and look back to preceding few verses. And so in those preceding few verses, you know, the therefore, since we have this ministry, so what ministry? Ministry of the Lord, the ministry of the Spirit, that ministry of liberty, um, that ministry that's transforming um, 
transforming us, transforming them. Uh, and we think about the power that's there um, as, and think about the context of 2 Corinthians, these Judaizing teachers who were coming in and challenging his apostleship, challenging his teachings, um, cha- having or looking at the word with that veiled heart. Um, but they have the ministry um, of mercy. Um, and, and from that, he says, we do not lose heart. <clears throat> um, and so wanted to pause. One of the questions I had in my lesson, um, and I think it's, it's important, especially considering the context of 2 Corinthians, it's, uh, how can we lose heart and how can we ensure that we don't lose heart? Uh, what are some of the things, and I don't want us to go on a massive tangent here, but the, the main thing I'd like to, us to think about is, what can we do to ensure that we don't lose heart? You think about what Paul endured. We can look forward to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you know, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the stonings, all of these things. You see what Paul endured physically for the kingdom because he was preaching the word. He didn't lose heart. So, so what can we do to ensure we don't lose heart as we face difficulties? It's easy to lose heart, especially in today's world because of all the sin and everything. But what makes me as an individual stronger is I've invested in going into Bible studies and with certain people. And I've tried to um, pray more and I've tried to realize, you know, there's thousands of people around the world and they don't have the same freedoms as I do. So when you look at it that way. You don't lose heart. You just keep pressing on and you think to yourself, I'm a child of God and it's it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. So despite the fact you may feel blue or you may have trials in life, you you just look at them as as little, little things compared to what Christ went through and the apostles went through and especially your brothers who are around the world who don't have the same freedoms as you when you look at it that way. Um, your life is is very blessed, yeah. very very blessed. Cameron Carey's got a comment. I see two things: one contextually within the passage, mm-hmm. and then outside. Yeah. But both work together. Mm-hmm. So I think that what he's driving to is really summarized. Your question is summarized at the end of chapter four, the beginning of chapter five. So he's trying to paint a picture that there is a lot of persecution going on right now. We, the apostles, are victims of that to to your benefit. But should you experience the same, you need to know that what you're going to experience is far less than the glory that you will receive in, in the in the next life. And, and that's really, you know, chapter five, verse one, mm-hmm. that, yeah, this house is going to be torn down, but we've got one. Mm-hmm. That's far better. And, th- and that connects to, to Hebrews 12, verse one, where even today, I think we can have assurance that there is this cr- cloud, great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on to the finish line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I, I think... Carrie, where you went to begin is kind of where I went, is from a contextual standpoint. And you look at all of what he's 
he's looking at and speaking to in the preceding chapter, in this chapter, and probably the next chapter too, it all points to that hope and, and his focus and the, the and, and we're going to look at this in more detail uh, throughout this, the, this study today, but what we endure here is such a minuscule part compared to eternity compared to to forever. And so um, I think that you, you hit the nail on the head, and, and I, I like the, the tie back to Hebrews as far as uh, your other point. So, so very good. Chris. In addition to what Carrie said um, about how many good things we can expect after this life, uh, there's also the point that he makes in that very verse, as we have received mercy. Mm-hmm. So think about what Saul did before becoming a Christian, yeah. I yeah. mean, and who he had to look in the face yep. after having uh, been converted. Um, he knows what he deserves, and because of that, this, you know, this is, this is acceptable. And then you add on top of that what Carrie was talking about, how, how many good things he has uh, to expect and what we all do. Yeah, I definitely thought, thought back to from, a, from a looking back I guess at this, looking back at what Paul did, you know, you think about who's saying this on two fronts. You think about who's saying it on because of what he's endured and what he's dealing with, that he's not losing heart. But you also think about it relative to the, the point that you just made. You know, the chiefest of persecutors, um, you know, in all likelihood held the, the, the garments of the man, the men who were stoning Stephen. Uh, and what all he did and the through Christ uh, was transformed, was made into a completely different tool to be utilized by, by Christ. And so through that, he's, he's speaking to that mercy and that grace. And, and I think because of that, he doesn't lose heart uh, because of all that, that he already realizes that Christ did for him. And the same applies to us. All that Christ does for us, we shouldn't lose heart. And I think that's on two fronts, not only what he does for us, but we also look to his example, what he endured for us. Um, I, think about, I think about all that he endured, whatever we face in this life compared to what Christ endured is going to be pretty insignificant. Uh, and I think that on multiple fronts, giving up heaven, enduring the pain, enduring the suffering, enduring the ridicule, enduring the isolation, um, all of those things... Um, what we endure is is pretty small. Yep. I think you see here Paul resisting the 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 earthly urge to view the gospel as a results based kind of endeavor. Pretty much most other things we do in life with our earthly wisdom, we do it for a while, and then we benchmark like how successful is it going, and if it's not going well, I'll get back in the lab and I'll tweak it and I'll change it and I'll I'll make it so that it starts to be accepted better. And he's just talked about the light that is in Christ. And, but he's acknowledging a lot of people are not being excited by this still. They're not listening to us. They're, they've been blinded by the ruler of this world. But he's not losing heart. And he says, we're not going to tamper with it. We're not going to look at the fact that people are not excited about this as though that there's something wrong with the gospel. Mm-hmm. That we're shining the light and that's God's power. It's not about us. And we're not going to lose heart if they don't see it because we've just been told to shine it out and that's what we're going to do. 
Again, a good, another good segue. Um, I think in these verses, um, you know, we can look at verse 2, renounce the hidden things. We can uh, see not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word. He's not going to twist the word. He's not going to try to hide the word or hide portions of it. It's, it's, we're presenting the word as is given to us. We're not trying to be trick, trick you. We're not trying to, to deceive you into anything. And I think pointing back to those Judaizing teachers, trying to twist things, he's trying to be the true minister that God called him to be, not deceitful, not twisting. Um, you know, I, I thought to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I made myself a slave to all to gain more. And so I think we can look to the example of Paul. He's not twisting things. And on top of that, he's enduring all of these things in order to gain more souls for, for Christ and in order to bring more people to the kingdom. And so, again, great example for us, um, you know, on two fronts, doing what the word says and only what the word says but then also being willing to, to endure all um, and, and give up liberties if it, if it equals more people coming to the kingdom. So very good point. Uh, and again, dovetails well into where I wanted to go with it. So thank you. Yes. Uh, um, no, no, please. I can remember. <laughs> um. I was just thinking that we can have confidence because the difference between the old law and the new law, we have um, confidence in Christ that he makes us pure and clean no matter what we've done in the past. And that's very reassuring. I mean, it's it's hard to live with, with guilt. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that no matter what we've done in our life, we can approach the throne of God and we can we can have that fellowship with God. And that's what I was thinking of as far yeah. as the, the uh, not losing heart. Yeah, and, and I think back to some of the po points that were, we discussed last week as far as that comparison to the old law and new law. And the old law, the, the sins were rolled forward each year and remembered each year. We looked at the passages that talked to that. Under the new law, they're removed. We're crystal clean when, when we repent and when, when we ask for that forgiveness. And so it should give us confidence. Um, and it's always, for me at least, it's difficult sometimes even after repentance and asking to forget. It's like, oh, it was a boneheaded mistake. Why would I continue? And why would I continue going back to these? But under the new law, uh, we have that grace. We have that mercy. So very good point. Thank you. And please throw up your hands yell at me, because um, I, I, I very, very much value your, your comments. Um, so continuing on, um, we already talked about the character. Of the We talk about, uh, continue this idea of the veil uh, versus the unveiled in verse 3. Um, in fact, why don't we real quick read chapter chapter uh, 4, verses 3 through the end of the chapter, just so that we have a good feel for the context of these verses. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves as your bondservant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I speak. We also believe, therefore also we speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we look back to, to verse uh, 3 and 4. Uh, again, that imagery of the veil to those who are perishing, to, in whose case the God of this world, and again, I think uh, it's pretty obvious, the God of this world is Satan. Um, that, and I thought back to several passages at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Again, light and darkness, that imagery again. Um, is that veil, and we've not to beat a dead horse, is that veil because something is hidden or something is, is being twisted or deceived or, or, or something is only given to certain people? Well, no. That veil is because, as, as is referred to in Matthew 13, Christ speaking, because their hearts were dull, because their ears wouldn't hear. They weren't willing to receive and accept. And so, again, not to dig into that more, but it's something that we need to make sure that we're being diligent so that we don't fall into that camp. We don't fall into that trap of, of not seeing the word, of not studying the word, because the God of this world, Satan, is going to try to twist it. Uh, you think about these Judaizing teachers. They came, and chances are, with at least partial truths. They didn't come just trying to teach the old law and the old law only. Chances are, no, Christ is right. Christ is the way you need to follow. But here's some other things that you also need to do. Well, that's how the, the God of this world is going to approach us. He's not going to come to us and say, I'm Satan. Um, this is all bad. You know, I want you to go down this path. No, he's going to come twisting. And I think back to Eve in the Garden of Eden. We talked about that, I think, in our, our gospel meeting. Um, we just need to be diligent to, to study, to pray, to think and ponder these different things, these different difficulties um, before we face these difficulties. Ponder these, these doctrinal issues before we, we are faced with a false teacher. Um, continuing on um, in verses 5 and 6, um, 
we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservant for, for Jesus' sake. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of, G of Christ. Again, I think this ties into the comments that Gerald made. You know, as, as we are transforming ourselves into that image of Christ, we should be shining that light out to those around us. Uh, Paul is saying that's what he's doing as he's presenting the word, and so that's what we need to do. Uh, follow that example of being that light into the world, that light shining into the darkness. Um, here saying the light is shining through their hearts. Uh, obviously, the word is written down, but it's, it's sharing that, that word uh, that's coming from their hearts. Um, and so um, I also thought about, the, I mean, there's multiple passages in the, the New and Old Testament that, that does that, has that comparison light to darkness. Thought about 1 John chapter 1, the beginning of uh, verse 5 through 7, that's talking about walking in the light as he is in the light. So continuing on, um, I thought this verse 7 is another really interesting imagery that Paul is using here. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. So these earthen vessels, um, you know, the glory of God, uh, as is said here, is being carried in these earthen vessels. Um, but I think here we're seeing and reading that because of the weakness of these vessels, because of the um, the temporariness or the the, um, the creative nature, and when I say the created nature, so these vessels were created by God, the weakness further glorifies God. You know, it's not like God is putting this... Um, this word, this, this translation of his word into something glorious and something powerful. It's not like, you know, and again, I don't want to get into it, but some angel is coming down and sharing it in our, our no, it's just being transferred by people like us. Um, but that further glorifies God. Um, and, and I think the point that pops into my mind is the power isn't in the person who's translating presenting the word, thank goodness, because I'm the one that's doing that now and it's a little intimidating. The power is not in me, the power is not in Paul, the power is in the word. Um, I thought about Romans chapter 1 verse 16, gospel, the gospel is the power of God to save. So thank goodness, power is not in me, the power is in the word. Um, you know, I think about the unimportance of the preacher. Um, you know, you can think back to 1 Corinthians and some of the divisions that were created there. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. Well, the Corinthians had some misunderstanding around where the importance really lies. It's not with Paul, it's not with Apollos, it's with the word. Um, and so uh, I think about, I don't know if I've got up there, but verses that talk about um, what's impossible for man is, po is possible for God. And I think that's the point here is, through these weak earthen vessels, it's not really possible for salvation. Uh, not really. It's not at all possible to have salvation. It's the word that provides that salvation. It's the word that, that has that power to, to save. It's not us. 
Thank goodness it's not Jason because I don't do a great job uh, fumbling through stuff. Um, and so, again, I think it's really important. I think the imagery of that earthen vessel is really powerful for me. So comments on any of that before we, before we move on? Yeah, I think that, that point you just made, not just about you, Jason, but it's not, also not about Paul. I mean, again, remember the context of the book. Paul's defending his own credibility because Paul's inconsistent when it comes to the law, and Paul's obviously not making an impact because some people aren't believing, so it's easy to discredit. And Paul's saying, look, it doesn't matter the messenger. Uh, this, is about, this is about the message. This is also why, if people aren't listening, I don't have to, I don't have to, uh, chapter 2, verse 17, peddle the word. We don't have to, okay, they didn't hear me when I said it this way. Maybe if we change the word and say it that way, they'll understand. No, it's not about peddling. It's about um, the message itself, uh, whether it's Jason, whether it's Paul even uh, preaching. So. Yeah. yeah, very good. <clears throat> Yeah. In uh, the same book, Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, it talks uh, where he talks where he says, uh, "When I am weak, then am I strong." Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, it, it kind of it it reminds me of that what we're talking about now because uh, the gospel is not about the person preaching it. Um, but also, we have a tendency as humans to be self-centered. Um, so if we realize, hey, our weakness is what God works through to, to let other people know about him, then, you know, then it's worth it. Then, then it's, um, it's all, it makes sense. Yeah, I think, I think it's a great point. I mean, you think about verses that God chose the weak. Um, and so I think, I think that kind of to, to your point, I think the, the other part of it is you think about the example that Christ laid, um, servant mentality. It's not about, even though if anybody could exalt himself, he could, that's not what he chose. And that's the image that we should be trying to transform ourselves into is that servant leader mentality. Uh, so I think it's a great point. So let's continue on and try to hit this point real quick. Uh, we've already talked a little bit about, you know, overcoming difficulties and how can we do that? You know, hard pressed, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken. You see, you think back again to all that Paul has endured in first, second Corinthians chapter 11, but through all of that, um, he didn't lose heart. Um, Think about Philippians chapter one, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Um, and I think about um, not only the hope that should be within us because of all that Christ has done for us, but also the examples that have been given. The promise in Hebrews chapter 13, I'll not fail you or forsake you. Does that mean we're gonna have a good time in this life? No, that's not what it's saying. Um, we could still face some of the same difficulties that Paul dealt with. We could still face death, but he's promised to be with us, first of all, so that in and of itself should cause us not to lose heart. But then the second part of it is um, if we're faithful, we're promised a home in heaven, which is far more important, far more, you know, just pure length of time than this short 
what, 100 years that are at most that we're in this world. And so um, I'll stop there because everyone's waiting for me, but I appreciate everyone's comments this morning.